The disciples were astounded by the behavior, the strange behavior of Jesus. After stirring up the crowd with a bunch of miraculous healings, Jesus, poof, disappears. He disappears, leaving them, the disciples, with a large crowd to deal with. Overwhelmed by their responsibility, the disciples don't just go out looking for Jesus. We are told they went out hunting for him. Early in the morning, just before the sun marks the beginning of the new day, the disciples find what they're looking for. They find Jesus. There he is, alone, in a quiet, deserted place, praying to God. Now, in time, the disciples will learn that Jesus often does this after caring for so many people. But this is their first experience of him taking a hiatus, a break, after doing so much miraculous work. So when the disciples tell Jesus about all the people back in town who still need him, they were likely as surprised as we were by Jesus' response. All right then, he says, it's time for us to go. People need Jesus. They need what only he can offer, and he leaves them. And to make matters worse, he gives the disciples his reason for leaving. He is leaving all those people in need of healing to share his message, to preach. For that, he tells us, is what he came to do. And just what is this message? that he is so desperate to share, so desperate that he'll ignore the cries and the needs of others. It's a simple statement, really, that he will give to both backwater towns and bustling cities all throughout Galilee. Repent and believe the good news because the kingdom of God is here. Mary Oliver's poem entitled The Journey offers us a glimpse, I think, of what was going on inside the mind of Jesus as he made this decision. This is what she writes. One day you finally knew what you had to do and began, though the voices around you kept shouting their bad advice, though the whole house began to tremble and you felt the old tug at your ankles, but you did not stop. You knew what you had to do. Jesus, it appears, knew what he had to do. It's interesting to note that in Mark's gospel, Jesus never goes out of his way to heal anyone. He only heals those who are presented to him. Problems find Jesus, not the other way around. He heals people, to be sure, but he only heals folks when it does not get in the way of him sharing the good news to all people. And as a result of this laser-like focus of Jesus... He is always one step ahead, one step ahead of the crowds, one step ahead of the disciples, one step ahead of us. Quick question. I think I know the answer, but I'll ask it anyway. If you had a choice right now between between being healed or hearing some really good news, which would you choose? Given the choice between hearing a really good sermon or experiencing an authentic miracle, the real deal. What would you prefer? 
You've heard lots of sermons, but a miracle. I'm going to go out on a limb here and say that most of you would take the miracle over a sermon, over hearing a bit of good news, which makes me wonder why Jesus didn't make healing people his top priority. If people want to be healed, if that's what they need, what they desire, then why not give them what they want? Imagine if everyone then and now and all the time in between, imagine if every person who prayed in the name of Jesus was healed by him. Imagine how many more people would call themselves followers. Imagine how packed this church would be. If healing is so effective at drawing in the crowds and increases people's faith in him, then why doesn't Jesus make healing people priority number one? Two people are riding an escalator. You can tell by looking at them that they are both executives because in addition to being well-dressed, they also look stressed and in a hurry. These are important people off to do important things. Suddenly, with the lurch, the escalator they are riding comes to a stop. As a result of it breaking down, both executives are now trapped on the escalator, unable to find their way to safety. The first one sighs in frustration. The second starts calling out for help. Help us! We're over here! Help us! And as they wait for help to come, they are stuck on an escalator. In 2006, Tim Piper turned this modern parable about being stuck on an escalator into a commercial for a company. And the fact that the commercial went viral is a testament to the absurd truth of its message. So many of us get stuck like those executives on a broken escalator. We get stuck because we focus on our limitations, on what is broken, on what is not as it should be. In the 1970s, anthropologist Ashley Montauk coined the term psychosclerosis, which he referred to as a hardening not of the arteries, but of the spirit. Those who suffer from psychosclerosis cannot see or embrace new ideas. Their heart is hardened, their mind is closed to new possibilities, new venues, new horizons. Sufferers of psychosclerosis deaden themselves against life in order to go on living. They sell their freedom as the price of their self-perpetuation. They are stuck. What if, what if Jesus chose to move on to the next town despite the fact that so many people back in the town he was already in were desperately in need of what he offered? What if he decided to move on because he wanted to offer them and us today something more powerful, more lasting, more present than miracles? What if he is always one step ahead of us because he doesn't want us to get stuck on an escalator of our broken dreams? Ten days after his son Alex was killed in a tragic car accident, the Reverend William Sloan Coffin delivered a sermon to his congregation at Riverside Church in New York City. You may have read the sermon or heard it. It's quite famous. 
In that sermon, in response to all the well-meaning but hurtful statements people made to him as they tried to figure out why God would let his son die, in response to all the comments he heard, Coffin affirmed in that sermon, he affirmed the truth that allowed him to function, to, to move through his suffering and pain. This is what he wrote. My own consolation lies in knowing that it was not the will of God that Alex die. That when the waves closed over his sinking car, God's heart, God's heart was the first of all our hearts to break. God's heart was the first heart to break. On the cover of your bulletin, there is an image of a vending machine surrounded by the devastation caused by a tsunami. Take a look at it if you can for a moment. When I came across this image, I found it powerful. Because it speaks to, I think, one of our more popular images of God in times of crisis. All too often when facing a pressing need, a tragic situation, we see Jesus as some giant cosmic vending machine that magically appears in the midst of our chaos. We have a need, a hurt, a pain, and we ask for Jesus to meet it. And sometimes that is exactly what Jesus does. There are times when Jesus heals us, when he gives us what we need. Of course, we also know there are times when the vending machine is empty or unplugged or doesn't have what we are looking for, when all that's left is the stale potato chips and the broken melted Kit Kats. None of it is all that appealing. The truth is, we don't need a cosmic vending machine. In order to be given hope and courage in times when life is hard and full of suffering, we need more than a God that dispenses healing like a Kit Kat bar. We need a God who meets us in our point of need and lifts, lifts us up onto our feet so we can see over the horizon to what is possible with God in the mix. For those of you fortunate enough to experience a healing, it's really important for you to remember, for yourself and for those around you, that the healing you experienced is never the end goal. The healings of Jesus, the miracles of God, are always a means to a greater end. Prior to the strange decision Jesus makes to leave the people to go on a preaching tour, he heals Peter's mother-in-law, who was stuck in bed with a fever. Hearing about her condition from the others in the house, Jesus takes her by the hand, and we are told, lifts her up. The Greek word used here to describe her healing is the same word that is later used by Mark to describe the resurrection of Jesus when he is lifted up. Peter's mother-in-law is not just healed of her infirmity. She is lifted up. I will never understand why some people's prayers are answered and some aren't. I don't get it. I don't understand it. And I'm not going to pretend that one day I will. But if all Jesus did was offer up miracles whenever we needed them, I know for certain we would never discover our own capacity for courage, strength, and compassion. 
If he simply showed up when we had a problem and fixed the problem and then disappeared, we would never move on. We would never get past our present situation. We would be stuck right where we are. If all he did was meet our needs, we'd remain stuck in a place where our failures define us, our brokenness limits us, and our fears hold us back. Sometimes the most compassionate thing Jesus can do is to head off, to leave, to go to the next town. Because there is something more powerful that he can give than a healing. And that something is the good, life-changing news that God is here. In his book, Between Parent and Child, psychologist Haim Gannat tells of Andy, Andy's a 10-year-old boy who asked his father this question. Dad, he said, what is the number of abandoned children in Harlem? His father, a chemist and an intellectual, was pleased by his son's curiosity and responded with a long lecture on the topic of abandoned children in Harlem. He even looked up the exact figure, the exact number, and gave it to his son. Andy, however was not satisfied. What is the number, then, of abandoned children in New York City, he asked. What about the United States, Europe, the world? Finally, his father realized that his son was not concerned about a social problem. He was concerned about being abandoned himself. He didn't need statistics. He needed reassurance. Reassurance that he belonged to someone. Truly in the question is the assumed world of the questioner. Have you not known? Have you not heard? God is here. God has not abandoned us. God has not forsaken the world. God has not forgotten you. This is what Jesus knew we needed to hear time and time again. A lot more than we needed to be healed of whatever ails us. Because it's this promise of God's abiding presence that empowers us, even as it saves us. It's this promise of God's presence with us in all things that lifts us up out of our sorrows into the light and hope of God's redeeming love. God beneath you, God in front of you, God behind you, God above you, God within you. These words of St. Patrick have survived the centuries because they hold the promise that Jesus risked everything to share to anyone who would listen. You may struggle to believe it, I get it, or understand its implications, but God is with us, the kingdom of God is here, God is present, empowering us, loving us and beckoning us into a future where together with God we can experience the good news of God's love and find a way off that broken escalator one step at a time. Amen.